0: Well hello and uh, welcome to the CSF February monthly podcast and this month there have been four papers uploaded to our website but today I'm only going to review two of those. Uh, The first paper is uh, an analysis of cardiovascular safety in people with rheumatoid arthritis receiving baricitinib. This is a paper authored by uh, Peter Taylor, one of my friends and colleagues from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. Now, background to this is relatively straightforward, as I'm sure you're aware. So, people with rheumatoid arthritis have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, uh, for example, heart attack, stroke. And the origins of this are thought to comprise a combination of traditional risk uh, alongside the added risk imposed by inflammation. And for that reason, there's a lot of interest in the impact of therapeutics on the prevalence, the occurrence, of cardiovascular events. Now that's complicated because uh, the JAK inhibitors have now been shown to significantly alter cholesterol levels in the early weeks and months of therapy and that of course is a problem because increased cholesterol in its own right is thought to be a cardiovascular risk factor so there's a lot of interest in both cardiovascular and for that matter, venous thromboembolic events in patients who are receiving JAK inhibitors. Now, this is a a study that assessed cardiovascular and venous thromboembolic events from nine clinical studies of baricitinib, all pooled. These included phase two, phase three and an ongoing long term extension study, all in this case in people with rheumatoid arthritis. So the analysis sets well. The placebo-controlled studies include data for placebo, baricitinib 2 milligrams and 4 milligrams. Uh, Patients are randomised to placebo or the different baricitinib doses through 24 weeks of treatment, or to the end of the placebo-controlled period, very slightly across studies. And the long-term extension study includes data from four studies in which patients could be randomised to placebo, baricitinib 2 milligrams or four milligrams, but also additional data in the longer term extension. Now, for all of the baricitinib patients, data were included who received at least one dose of baricitinib and all of the available data at the time of first baricitinib dose without censoring for rescue or dose change. Now the statistical analysis is pretty extensive, Uh, it's a comparison of placebo and each paracitinib group performed using a Cochrane-Mantel-Heinzel test stratified by study. Exposure um, adjusted uh, IRs and IRs for adverse events were calculated as the number of unique patients with an event per 100 patient years. This is a pretty typical way of describing these data sets has both pros and cons. Cox regression model investigated the effects of potential risk factors in the occurrence of DVT, pulmonary embolism and its timing relative to first dose of baricitinib using the all baricitinib RA data set defined in the paper. There was also an exploration of the relationship between adverse events and baricitinib, comparing baricitinib plasma concentration in patients with and without DVT and pulmonary embolism. And steady state CMAX and area under the curve for individual patients were estimated based on previously described population pharmacokinetics. So, what are the key results? Well, the incidence rates for myocardial infarction, stroke, and cardiovascular related deaths were similar across groups. Uh, congestive heart failure, based on broad and narrow terminology, did not increase for baricitinib four milligram versus placebo during the zero to 24 week evaluable phase. And there was no imbalance seen with baricitinib versus placebo for MACE, the major adverse cardiac events uh, with, with a no dose response seen during the extended analysis. Uh, overall, the, the uh, incidence rate for MACE for all baricitinib treated patients was 0.5 per 100 patient years. This was stable over time. Now, the uh, incidence uh, rates for arterial thrombotic events were comparable for placebo and baricitinib 4 milligrams in the placebo controlled period and two and four milligram doses in the extended set. And the uh, incidence rates for in, the, in the all baricitinib treated group was 0.4 per 100 patient year. And again, this was stable over time. Six out of 997 patients treated with baricitinib 4 milligrams and zero out of 1,070 patients in the placebo group reported venous thromboembolic events. There were no observed baricitinib dose response during extended observation across the studies and the IRs for DVT and pulmonary embolism did not increase over time. Well, um, what, what do we conclude from all of this? Well, the integrated data set shows no association between exposure to baricitinib and MACE, arterial thrombotic events or congestive heart failure, and there were six venous thrombombolic events uh, reported for baricitinib four milligrams, but not placebo treated patients in the placebo controlled study period. And during the longer term evaluation, uh, the IRs were similar between doses, uh, and this was consistent over time and similar to published rates in RA. I I guess this is reassuring at the moment, but I would certainly urge us to continue to be cautious about these data sets. We need now real world evidence. We need to look at what actually happens to the frequency uh, and prevalence of particularly venous thromboembolic events, and that's particularly pertinent at the moment because the FDA have offered as a warning uh, for another drug that is also JAK inhibitor, tofacitinib, used at 10 milligrams BID as the potentially driving risk of thromboembolic events particularly. So I think this whole class of drugs requires that we continue to be very vigilant and of course as ever to be data driven. Now. The second paper I want to highlight is the two-year data from the tofacitinib study oral scan. This was a, a study investigating tofacitinib radiographic and safety outcomes, and this was tofacitinib used in combination with methotrexate, and the lead author here is Professor Desiri van Heidi from Leiden, and Desiri really is the, the world expert in understanding radiographic progression in the field. The background here, the efficacy and safety of tofacitinib administered as monotherapy or in combination with methotrexate, in people with rheumatoid arthritis has been demonstrated in oral scan and in subsequent long-term extension studies and this report assessed durability of response uh, including structural damage progression and safety with tofacitinib through 24 months. And patients were randomized just to remind you four to four one to one to receive tofacitinib five or 10 milligrams BID or placebo advanced autophagythicin with stable background methotrexate, three or month six. Um, clinical efficacy assessments included ACR changes, mean change from baseline in DAS28 calculated with ESR, uh, remission by various recognised parameters, DAS28, CDI, SI, Boolean remission, and low disease activity similarly, DAS28, CDI, SDI, and mean changes also in hack disability index. The structural progression component was assessed using mean change from baseline in uh, Vande modification of the SHARP score, and the safety assessments included the incidence and severity for all cause adverse events, clinical laboratory abnormalities, and also vital signs. Now treatment emergent adverse events, serious adverse events, discontinuations due to adverse events, and laboratory evaluations of interest were assessed according to treatment phase and be aware that there there was a safety endpoint adjudication committee uh, which reviewed deaths, cardiovascular events and malignancy. Now the statistical analysis here, well there were several applied and that's because there are different clinical parameters of interest. Uh, Non-responder imputation with no advancement penalty addressed missing ACR responses remission and LDA, radiographic scores for month six were imputed by linear extrapolation from baseline and month three, and flare was recorded at a visit if the DAS28 worsened by more than 1.2 from month six, Um, or DAS28 was 5.1 at the visit, the score had worsened by more than 0.6 from month six. Um, an estimated mean change from baseline was derived um, as least square means with SEs and 95% confidence intervals, T statistics, and P values comparing tofacitinib and placebo. And rates of non progression based on radi- radiographic scores were calculated um, with LEP. Okay. well, what are the the key results? Well, the take homes are as follows. Clinical efficacy was maintained through months 12 to 24 for both doses for all major endpoints. Um, ACR responses, DAS28 remission, LDA, CDI, SDI remission and Boolean based remission. Tofacinib patients had similar minimal progression of structural damage compared to baseline modified total sharp scores, erosion scores and joint space narrowing. Um, Safety events were similar in type and frequency for both tofacitinib doses consistent with those previously reported. Um, Patients advancing from placebo to to tofacitinib treatment sequences um, achieved similar clinical responses to those who received initial tofacitinib treatment. What do we conclude from this particular paper? Well, patients receiving tofacitinib 5 and 10 milligrams BID plus methotrexate has sustained clinical and radiographic treatment effects through month 12 to 24. Minimal structural progression of damage as well as improvements in disease activity were sustained through 24 weeks of treatment. And the safety profile and tolerability were similar to those previously reported. But of course, uh, we, we have heard from FDA recently and we should be very careful to use tofacitinib within the indicated licensed approved doses and continue to watch out for any further FDA advice in this regard. Well, thanks very much for listening. This has been a CSF monthly podcast. Don't forget that all of the content discussed in this podcast is available in more detailed format in the publications section at signaling.com it's a, it's a great resource. There's a lot of stuff in there that you'll find really helpful. You'll enjoy it. Personally, I use it all the time and it really is enormously valuable. And please subscribe to the podcast channel. Let us know what you think by reviewing our podcasts. And thanks especially to you for listening. I really do hope that this information is helpful to you in your clinical practice and ultimately to make a difference for our patients. Thanks very much indeed.